Hey, yeah, no peoples. We're in season four, and we want to thank you for joining us on this wonderful journey. If you haven't yet, please consider subscribing to us. We love that you listen, but subscribing will help us more than you'll ever know. Also, regardless of which method you use to listen to your podcasts, please, 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 please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you, and we want to know what's working, what's not. You can also drop us a line at our website, yeahnopodcast.com. But if all that's too much, you get it. The smallest contribution is subscribing. Thanks again for listening, and we intend on delivering a kick-ass fourth season for you. Hi, this is Tina. And this is Mia. And you're listening to Yeah No, a podcast about having a business at the intersection of design and healthcare. I'm a terrible snapper. What? Like, wait, let me. You can't snap. I can't snap. <laughs> I never knew that about you. This is like four seasons I'm in. I'm rhythmically challenged and I can't snap. Oh my God. So We've known sad. each other for so long and I never knew you were you a snap deficit. I can mime snap. <laughs> it's not the same. Can you clap? No, that's really hard. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you remember when it was really popular to applaud like this? Oh, oh right. That wasn't that. At, you um, must have been like spoken, people spoken like, word. She hates me. <laughs> No, mine was like, <laughs> it's so bad. It's I was like the sound of one hand clapping. I know, it was really bad. <laughs> it's really not good. Yours is loud. You know, I some know. people can do it really loudly, though. I, I think it's pretty impressive. It goes along with my talent for whistling. Oh, I can whistle. <laughs> It'll be good. <laughs> All right, episode 31. How exciting. I, I'm so excited to be here today. I know. I mean, season four. That four seems old. We got so much great feedback about season three. We did. And everyone loved it. And if you hated it, you didn't tell us. So I'm just going to say that everybody loved it. And uh, so we are back to do it again. And I think that we're really in a good groove. Yeah. And our focus again this year, we're going to continue on the healthcare theme because that seemed to have a lot of interest around it. So we've got a packed season. We've been planning for the last couple months, and we've got some great guests and some great topics around healthcare. And we also found out that there's no healthcare business and comedy podcasts, so that's what we're going to try to embody. (laughs) (laughs) Humor and healthcare. I don't know if that's a normal combination. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. We're We're bringing it here at Yano. Yeah. So uh, the season, great stuff, as Mia was saying. And today, what are we talking about? Today, we're going to talk about employer-based healthcare or healthcare as a business. That sounds boring. Are we going to make it interesting? <laughs> well, I mean, I think what? No. <laughs> <laughs> the shortest <laughs> is no. <laughs> it's going to be real serious. Uh, so what about healthcare as a business, though? Well, you know, as a small business, we've had our share of navigating how to provide healthcare benefits to our employees, to ourselves even at times. Yeah, it was so bad I had to find a husband. 
<laughs> it was the only way for me to get health care. That's, yeah, that's way like, number two. All right, I got to lock this dude down. He's got health insurance. <laughs> we got to get married. So smart. I know. It's just expensive as a business. So, and what's happened, I think, recently is that we've seen a lot of new models come out. You know, Amazon and their merger with Berkshire Hathaway and JP Morgan, and they're claiming to build a whole new healthcare. Yeah, and I think that ultimately we talk a lot about patient experience, we talk a lot about you know, doctor experience, stories of health, the importance of narratives and things like that. But at the end of the day, healthcare has been a business historically, and it drives a lot of the decisions that are being made. And what we're seeing now is that there are different decisions. And so I think we wanted to have an opportunity to talk about whether or not we think that those are good decisions or bad decisions. Right. So I have some stats here. So according to Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, in 2016, the U.S. spent $3.3 billion, no, $3.3 trillion, I don't even know that number, over $10,000 per person on health care. In the U.S., healthcare spending accounts for 17.9% of the gross domestic product, which means that the total value of goods and services produced by an entire nation for an entire year. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And then it's also said that Americans see their physicians less frequently than most patients in most other countries. So we go four times a year, which is a lot less. And under half of all Americans get their health insurance through their employer. That's not a lot of people. No. And the last stat, I know I'm throwing a lot of stats at you. I'm writing them all down. Employers paid an average of $10,000 per employee to cover 70% of the cost of their health insurance. And that still didn't cover everything. So employees and workers have to still contribute about $4,000 to cover that remaining 30%. Right. Yeah, so today I think we wanted to talk about this healthcare as a business. What we saw was a really interesting opportunity to start to talk about what are what are the benefits of companies you know, starting to kind of build their own healthcare system, going directly to providers. What are the different models out there for healthcare as a business? And then as that's happening, like who's going to lose? I mean, if only if less than half of people are getting their benefits from employees, what what will happen to the other half? Right. Uh, there's still going to be a lot of losers in this. And of course, we're always thinking through the lens of the patient on this. But I think that there's probably going to be a lot of other people as well. Yeah. I think we also wanted to talk today about data. Data. We can't talk about this conversation without the data. Well, because that becomes part of the benefit, right? Right, and it's it, it's the thing that they can start to monetize and the things that they can start to leverage in their favor. And I think we wanted to give an opportunity to talk about if if you're giving over this data, you know, what happens and what's good about that and what what's maybe not so good. You know, I'm a little squeamish about that. I know. You get real... <laughs> Touchy subject. She doesn't even, she's got no, her I'm... last name redacted from this podcast now. <laughs> I found myself getting confused in some of the vernacular of employer-provided health care and health care created by employers. Right. What are the different models? We talked about, you know, the one that's mostly known, which is like being fully insured. That means that your company provides you benefits. You get to choose your provider. You know, you get a set amount that you contribute through your paycheck. What other kind of models just so that we can think about what's out there? Yeah, there's the classic model, which you were just mentioning, right? But recently, I think what we've 
been listening and, and hearing about more is that there are companies that are building their health programs from scratch. So they're saying, hey, we have enough, a big enough population and we have the budget to say we're going to have our own doctors on right. staff and we're going to have our own um, health educators on staff or nutritionists or whatever it might be because we think it's better for our company. So Apple, for example, is doing something like that. Then we have these really interesting companies that are going directly to a provider. So they're saying like, oh, well, we work right outside of a, a center of excellence or we have a company that's right outside a center of excellence, such as Mayo Clinic. Right. And they can say, okay, well, we're going to go directly to the hospital. We're going to say, hey, we'll come up with a deal where you'll provide health care to our employees and we'll go directly to you, which kind of cuts out the payer altogether, which you know, I think can also be beneficial. Um, but then there's also this last model of companies just working directly with a payer and a payer really starting to think differently about being this kind of classic insurance company since we know that patients are usually pretty disdainful of insurance companies right. in general. And so they're going to say, you know, something like a Walmart and Humana, where Humana saying, oh, we're not Humana anymore. JK, we're we're this this healthcare company. <laughs> yeah. Right? We're not an insurance provider. And we're going to work differently with you than a classic insurance company would. And, you know, those are some exciting models to kind of look out for because it's going to really change the way that people see healthcare. What's the value of healthcare and employers merging? What are the pros and cons of the people involved? One of the biggest pros for me is seeing that consumers, you know, the employees can apply pressure on an industry. And I think that that can really improve productivity, it can reduce prices, it can improve quality, it can expand your options. And I think that the value of having these healthcare and employers merging is that the employees can really start to uh, have a voice and be able to influence the change or the decisions that the employer makes. I think as long as that becomes a part of it in, in its offering, because I think we've heard a lot of talk around the consumerization of healthcare. I don't really think it's there yet. I think that still it's a very um, hierarchical system. It's a, a very much like a non-transparent system. So I think as these companies redesign healthcare, I think being able to show patients that they have a voice or being able to give them some kind of advocacy is the only way that we will see employees as patients start to use that as leverage. Yeah, you know? I guess I just wonder, I mean, that's in the healthcare industry, right? But in business, I think that when you're not referred to as a patient anymore, you're a, you're an employee of X company, it's a lot easier to band together. It's a lot easier to make decisions. And I think, you know, you see that happening with like these chief people officers, you know, these millennials, looking at you, Tori, that who are, you know, who are kind of making these decisions. I'm just kidding. Tori's like the oldest soul millennial like I've ever had <laughs> But, you know, I think that that's kind of what you're seeing within the workforce. Those are the things that um, make it a little bit easier to get together to make decisions about this because you're not being, I hate to say pigeonholed, but you're, you're not being labeled as a patient 
You know, you're being labeled as an employee of a company and then making healthcare decisions around that might be, make it a little bit easier. It's like how Aetna is saying, oh, you know, we're not going to call our people, you know, patients, we're calling them members, right? I think that that really starts to change the mindset of people. I don't know. I'm, I think that you need to design those mechanisms in in order for people to change their approach or the way that they think about who they are. I think when you're a patient, you're going to feel like a patient. And I just don't know if every day I'm going to want to feel like a patient, you know, as an and this is where like the blurring of employee and patient gets really awkward for me. You know, like Walmart, right? You can participate in these wellness programs to tell your story and lose weight and fight, you know, obesity. But that's really different than if I am a diabetes patient and I want to reduce the price of my insulin or I want to have better coverage or I want to, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I just feel like we we have to make that feel okay because it's just not okay now right yeah. yeah i mean i agree it has to be designed in like you can't run your company like a totalitarian yeah. kind of you know i'm the dictator and whatever so yeah although that's how we run diagram so everybody <laughs> shut up <laughs> inherently i think that one of the big things about making change with an organization is having data and i wanted to ask you do you think that people want to intersect their work data with their health data? No. Whoa. Tell me how you really <laughs> feel. You know how I feel about this. I mean, I think that it is, you know, a great probably pro for a lot of companies to be able to have access to this data. They can see people's productivity improving or they can see, you know, like from a population health standpoint, how their workforce is doing. But I think from a patient or a employee point of view, it's a little creepy. What's um, creepy about it, though? Well, it's creepy if my employer knows how often I'm going to see the doctor it, or Why? not. It's creepy if my employer knows that I've got migraines and, you know, I might be missing work. I, I just wonder, like, how invested is my employer in this and are they going to help me? And I think that that's, that's part of the problem with, with data being just data is that nobody knows how it's going to be used. And so unless it's designed so that employees know what it's going to be used for and it could be used in a positive way, I think that needs to be really clear for people. I just feel like all of that information is known anyway, right? Like, I mean, let's talk about... It's not known, though. Sure it is. If you make a doctor's appointment and you come into work late or whatever, right? I mean, you have to tell your boss that you're going to come in late. But I don't think you tell them necessarily it's a doctor's appointment. And I I think Sure, you might not. But after you do it after a while, your your boss might be like, hey, Mia, you know, I've noticed that you've been coming in late quite a few times. What are you going to say then? Well, that's the thing. It's like I think that we've we've had experience with with people as well as in the research that we've done who have chronic disease and they don't want people to know. Right. But we've also had stories in when we talked to patients who said, you know, I told my boss and actually it was really liberating because my boss is the only person that knows and she makes afford or he makes affordances for me because they know that I might be experiencing extreme fatigue due to whatever lupus. But that's like 
personal data. I think this is like generalized data. Maybe there's a difference between like I don't know if maybe that's the difference is like maybe if it's generalized or at a population level, people might accept it. I think if it if it's clear that it's not going to affect you at a personal level, it might be a, a different story. But I think that when we talk about data, that is kind of like a population health data, right? Maybe. So, we don't know that. Right. But I guess if like, I'm thinking if about... If I think about Amazon, they know stuff at, at a real personal level. How do you know? What, well, what is it that I mean, they know? traditionally, Amazon has been able to deliver stuff based on a personal level. So why wouldn't they do that? Personal, with but personal, but it's still generalizable. You know that, like they're they're sure they're looking at whatever it is that you're um, looking at and recommending other things. But that's all an algorithm, which which you know, like in the back end, they're saying, hey, that you know, kitty pool is kind of related to these kitty flippers. So we're going to show those in relationship. They're not saying Mia looked at kitty pools and we're going to show her kitty flippers. That's not, it's still kitty flippers like for cat. Yeah. Kitty, a kitty (laughs) of of cat pool (laughs) and cat flippers. Four of them. You get four. You have to buy two and two though (laughs) in case they don't want it on their back end. You know, it's like a mermaid. So I think that, you know, it, we, you know, because we work in algorithms, right? Like those algorithms in general are generalizable. Um, right. And so and so I agree. I mean, I don't think that they're going to be, and again, we won't know, but I don't think they're going to be looking at being like, oh, Mia hasn't been here for six days in Q1, so we're going to fire her. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I mean, hopefully people will always get an opportunity to opt out. And, and I think we're always trying to work together with companies to try to say, like, hey, you know, if you're going to gather this data, you should tell people exactly what you're gathering yeah. so that they know and they can that's make the an a decision. It's the problem with insurance companies now. Like, people don't know how what their, their information, it's very private, it's very personal information is going to be used for. And I think that that's caused a lot of mistrust within the insurance company. Yeah. They don't know if it's going to raise their rates. They don't know if it's going to mean that they can't get coverage. And I think that knowing that that's that's a problem on the insurance side, I think companies are going to need to deal with those very same issues. So who loses in this this scenario? What we've talked about is a lot of benefits for the company, right? Cost savings, productivity, more efficiency. Who's not being served? People who are unemployed or underemployed. And a lot of people who are unemployed due to chronic conditions, right? And so I don't think we can ever go away from a model where there's some level of government assistance, Medicaid or um, in healthcare. But I do think that, you know, what it might become is a really big difference between the haves and the have-nots. I mean, we already talk a lot about yeah. that with uh, healthcare as it is. And I think that as employers start to move to their own, you know, healthcare system, it's going to really suck if, like, the company down the street has their own clinic that only, you know, 2,000 people go to. Right. If you're unemployed, what happens? I, I read this statistic that said of those People who currently have trouble paying their medical bills, 73% skimped on groceries, clothing, or rent sure. to pay for their medical bills. 60% used up their savings, and more than 40% took on an extra job to pay the bills. Yeah. One of the things that I had about, you know, who loses is payers. I don't know if you... you look- Are we feeling sorry for payers? Well, my thought was, <laughs> is there ever a situation where it would be better to have payers? 
Yeah, I don't know. One of the things that I thought about was that, you know, there are these payers that are doing a lot of work and collaborations with doctors and even like these kind of new technological companies like, I mean, Walmart and Humana, for example, right? Right. um, It's a payer and a big company that are working together. And, you know, with that kind of revenue and that kind of people power, I mean, they could maybe do some really fantastic things, right? And I mean, we've been talking about these big companies like Amazon, J.P. Morgan, and whatever, but there's a lot of, like, chicken factories, you know, in the Midwest that are, you know, they still employ hundreds and hundreds of people, but they don't have the access to IT infrastructure or to these big technology innovation companies. It's like, what happens to them? And so is it better for them to have a payer? Is it better for them to have a Blue Cross Blue Shield or whatever, an Aetna, to say like, oh, yeah, well, we partnered with, I don't know, some IT company out probably in Bay Area, let's be honest, to do this great thing for your employer employees. We talk a lot about these big city kind of big employees or employers, but is there is there a time where maybe those people who don't have access to that are better off partnering with a payer? Maybe. I think payers have a long way to go in building trust and, you know, some transparency. Um, we ha- There just hasn't been the history of collaborating with payers in a way where you feel like you have trust in in what they're going to do. So I think that that would be something for them to work on. I just also worry, speaking of those people that work at chicken factories in the Midwest, what about patients who don't have access to centers of excellence, um, you know, who live hundreds of miles from a really good, you know, amazing hospital or whatever that that might be who have rare conditions that need to get treated. I think that they could potentially lose out as well. What might be interesting is to see companies, for example, if Amazon is having their own healthcare organization or they're coming up with a new type of healthcare that they are responsible. Those companies are responsible for providing healthcare for those who are, who are disadvantaged or for people outside of their population. If they're going to build something for themselves, then shouldn't they be accountable to chip in and support those who are less, who are underserved? Oh, wow. That's really optimistic thinking right there. Well, I mean... What do they get out of that? What, What is their value proposition for that? I would think that you, you know, not looking like the person that's like hoarding everything and only providing stuff for their kingdom. Oh, you they know? don't care about that. Well, pro- look at how much they're providing for their kingdom. This is what I'm saying, though, is that, like, if the government through Medicaid and Medicare are the o- is the only organization to support, you know, who else is going to step in and do that advocating for people who are, are not going to benefit from this new world of employer-based health care? I think that that needs to be addressed, too. And I would say, like, somebody should hold it, too, big companies to say, like, you are obligated to give a portion back to groups that are outside of your group. Are you going to elect Bernie Sanders to <laughs> to, to president? Because he is old. His health care is just, it doesn't even matter. I just think, like, I don't know if we'll ever see universal health care for all, but if companies are going to go in that direction of being in the business of providing health care, then they need to be in the business of figuring out how to make it accessible. 
But if you're saying politicians are the ones that are going to build policy in order to do that. No, I didn't say that. Well, you said government. I said government's going to be responsible. So who's going to step in to help the government figure this out? Because the, the government is definitely not going to be able to support everybody who is left out of the equation once, you know, companies are just protecting their own populations. Right. But I guess if it's not going to be government, it's not going to be companies. Well, right now it's payers, right? Yeah. So I just think that with the new model of like employers developing healthcare for their own populations, there needs to be some innovation for those that are outside of that system. So, closure, what do you think that the future looks like? I think it's amazing to see some new reframings uh, for healthcare. And I think that there's a lot of potential, but I also think that there's a lot, like we talked about, to be addressed in terms of what are the new payment models? How are we going to address you know, underserved communities? How are we going to ensure that the data is being used correctly? Yeah. I think those are some of the, the, the big things that I'd like to see in this healthcare discussion come up. What do you think? My biggest concern is that there's a lot of sweeping changes that are created in the name of efficiency. I think that people are always trying to be more efficient and especially in the workplace, it's all about, you know, how can I basically do more work with less people or less cost, whatever that might mean. And I get a little bit concerned when healthcare gets kind of swept up with that because that's how we kind of ended up where we are now, where it was like, we're going to pay you for the amount of patients that you see. So if you see 50 patients, we're going to pay you per patient, right? And we've m- worked so hard to kind of move to this value-based model where it's like, no, it's about satisfaction of those patients or it's about, you know, um, efficacy. And so I think that you know, it's going to be really easy to do that when you're in a company where a CEO is all about creating efficiencies and they're all about productivity. And so it's easy to forget about the person when you're doing that. Um, And we see it happen a lot just in general now. And I think when people's health gets involved with that, it gets really concerning. Right, right. Wow, good episode. Yeah. I mean, we are amazing. (laughs) This is just the first of 10. It's only taken us four seasons (laughs) to get here. Stay tuned for more of Yeah No. As you heard, if you're interested in subscribing, we love subscribers. Please subscribe. YeahNoPodcast.com is where you can find us on the internet. And our theme song is written and performed by Chess Smith. And this episode was produced and edited by Tori Flack. And we're back in the studio at Figure 8 in Brooklyn with the fabulous Michael P. Coleman. Thanks a lot for listening. Bye. This one's really bad. This one's better. This one's like a this one's like a um like a, a kid's snap. <laughs> like I never I never learned how to snap with this one. <laughs>